study in uh, the book of Galatians. Uh, you know, folks, we know that, that Scripture is good, it's profitable for, for doctrine, you know, for correction, for instruction in the ways of righteousness. And uh, what you'll see is your effectiveness, I believe, in every area of life that God connects you to. When we get into that Word, that Word gets into us, and what happens, then we're able to draw and, uh, and pull those things down in those key times. Pastor Brandon and I was talking the other day just about the importance of doctrine. You know, when you've been brought up in, quote-unquote, the Spirit-filled community, some of you folks may have come from a uh, Pentecostal background, maybe a charismatic background, whatever you might call it, full gospel, people say. Many times we get reliant upon experiential Christianity. And I'll just use the word Christianity just kind of as a, as a blanket form. And so if I felt it, if I went through it or whatever else, it must be true. And folks, that really marks the, the times of the, the end times. Now, I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm not telling you to do that. Read those gifts off. I believe in every single one of them. But I believe in all of those things that should be done decently and in order. I believe there's, a, there's an application of those things. I don't believe when the Spirit moves, we get out of order. I believe when the Spirit moves, He brings order. Why? Because one of the, the gifts, excuse me, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control, not out of control. And so there's such an importance, I believe, in this day and age to, to really put a, a focus upon the doctrines of the Scripture. Because we've talked about many times that the time is going to come when men will not endure sound doctrine. I get calls uh, all the time, uh, people that I've known for, for years, some people that I've just met, and they want to talk Bible stuff. And it's amazing just the hunger and the desire. In fact, some of the girls were in there using the printer the other day. And a gentleman from Texas called me up that I hadn't talked to in years. And he was just discussing a church that had risen up and a lot of influence in the community. He was just teaching doctrines of devils. But these teachings that he brought up had been things that had been well-worn that really had exposed himself 30 or more plus years ago. But folks, if you don't know the Word, and I'm not talking about knowing about the Word, but I'm talking about knowing the Word, a lot of those things will grab you because they appeal to a nature, they appeal to uh, really the vain philosophies and the rudimentary teachings of man. So know your stuff. And so we're here in Galatians chapter 2, if you have your, your Bibles tonight, turn there and uh, jump down to verse 16 is where we're going to be. Uh, you remember last, last week we dealt primarily with Paul's rebuke of Peter uh, for ceasing to, if you remember, walk uprightly or ceasing to walk uh, according to the truth of the gospel. When, when Peter, uh, probably under a lot of pressure from those Jews from Jerusalem, he drew away uh, from eating and fellowshipping with the Gentile believers uh, because of their lack of adherence to the law. Peter just yielded once again to peer pressure. He pulled back. Paul, because of Peter's influence, found it necessary to rebuke him. We talked about a few weeks ago, you know, uh, uh, to don't receive an accusation against the elder except there be two or three witnesses. And those that sin, he said, rebuke them publicly that all may fear and learn. And so uh, Paul the Apostle didn't back down because it was Peter, because of his position, because of his reputation. He, he said he went to him and he openly rebuked him. Why? Because it was something that important. It was a big deal because he set a standard. If you'll remember, he even calls Barnabas. Uh, that encouraging Barnabas to, to fall victim to that and withdraw from Gentile believers as well. And, well, if you remember, we compared his failure to walk uprightly with that prophetic message from 2 Thessalonians 2 concerning that promise falling away. Before the son of perdition is revealed, there'll be a great falling away. Folks, listen, regardless of your position on eschatology, whether you're a pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, uh, pre-millennial, post-millennial, all those other things that we talk about, Nearer is our salvation than when we first believed. 
with that near as is when we first believe. But also we're closer, I believe, into that day of the Lord. Regardless of what you consider the end times, I believe that we stand literally at the threshold of that. Uh, does that mean that I'm predicting that uh, May of 2017, Jesus coming? I'm not predicting that at all. Or the next year, he could come back tonight uh, for all I know. All those things could happen. Uh, I'm not an escapist. I'm not a person that believes that we're going to avoid problems. I'm a person that believes that, that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all, and in this world will suffer tribulation. But do not fear, because he's overcome the world. But I can recognize the signs of the times. If ever there's a point where people had, 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 had deviated and fallen away from the truth, it is in this day and age. So this week what we're going to do is we're going to begin looking at, 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 at verse 16 and what's called, uh, what we called a few weeks ago the defending of the faith through systematic confrontation. And this is really one of the most, if not the most, significant verses in all of this letter. This might get a little bit... Um, a little bit theological tonight, and that's by design. You know, this isn't some quote-unquote topical issue. Folks, you've got to go deep. I've known people that at one time walked with the Lord. You wonder, what happened? I know some people that, that I started out in ministry many, many years ago who really possessed a, a tremendous... I'm just going to call it what it was, tremendous personality towards ministry. You've probably known some of them people. If I, if I name the names, that, uh, I know my wife would obviously know it, but Joe and Beth would probably remember some people that I've named and maybe some people watching on, online that had tremendous ministry, quote-unquote, personalities. I mean, they were a person that they walked in, they lit up a room, they were, there was somebody you wanted to talk to, if you went to the altar for prayer, man, you, you knew that you were going to walk away encouraged and all those things. And these folks just do not walk with the Lord any longer. What happened? You know, what could cause and compel someone that had previously walked with the Lord Jesus Christ not to walk with Him any longer? Folks, does that cause you to shudder? You know what I appreciate about, about my pastor back years ago? Some of you guys got to uh, meet him at Priority One last year, and you're going to meet him again this year. He'll be here. Uh, uh, Bobby Tao is what we call him, Dr. Richard Tao. But, you know, he wasn't the flashiest guy at all. I don't remember it, but he always just preached a solid word. And you know what? You can go online to his church that he's planted there in Springfield. You still hear it. And it's still just a solid word. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, it, it may not be the thing that you, you walk away with all the one-liners or anything else, but you walk away from that table feeling like you've been fed. And there's so little of that. And so for me, he instilled in me really a, a love for the Word of God, the principles of the Word, and, and a desire to go deep in it. But there's, there's a changing tide in a lot of areas. Uh, I went to pick up Johanna from school today, and, and I brought a point up. I said, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. This may not mean anything in the world to you, but I'm just talking out loud to you. And I pulled up an old, uh, I pulled up a video off of my uh, phone of just an old praise album from really the late 80s. And it was that era of uh, the, the praise and worship era when the churches at large were coming out of a lot of the old hymns and kind of the stodgy type things. But it was a time when people were really beginning to, to enter in. And, and I know uh, John 3.16 here, only in a Christian bookstore here, remember? Remember the old, the, the secret place, Kent Henry and Glorify That Name? It was all of these scripture-based songs. And so all of the songs, you'd listen to them, and you could memorize Scripture. And I played one for her. You know, how they are to increase and trouble me. Many of them that rise up against me. Many of, that's just Psalm 3. 
And you memorized all the scripture just through singing the song. You didn't even know you were memorizing the scripture. You were singing the song. And it just word for word goes right down through the passage. So somebody hears you uh, uh, quote scripture. Man, how do you remember all that? Well, I used to sing that stuff all the time. And I said, but the interesting thing about it, I said, listen to this. I said, that praise and worship music did not try to mimic the style of the time. It didn't sound anything like what you would hear in mainstream music in the late 80s and early 90s. But if you notice worship music today does everything within its power to mimic the sound of the culture. Isn't that interesting? And the, the more we try to mimic the sound of the culture, the more we find ourselves conforming to the image of this world rather than being transformed by the renewing of our minds. You know what I'm saying? That music was built upon the premise of doctrine. Modern worship music, if you want to call it that, is built of emotionalism. How does it make me feel? Every every female singer wants to sound like that 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 breathy uh, 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 lounge act, and every guy wants to sound like the like the, the the secular crooner. They all want to have that same sound. Then what they've done is they've adopted even the 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 the, the, the look. They've got the same haircut. They, they, they say, listen, let me relate to them through the tattoos and my dress stuff. And so it's like, okay, which one's Christian and which one is not? Folks, this stuff has slipped into every area. And it didn't start right here in 2016 in Galatians 2.16. You hear me? You know where it started? It started all the way back then. And so, folks, listen, we've got to come back to the fidelity of the Word of God and the desire to go deeper into those things. So I want to read tonight Galatians 2.16 tonight. And it says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. I could take, honestly, I could take that, that 2.16 and preach for probably three months, just off of that right there. I mean, you talk about a loaded verse of scripture. I'm not going to do that, but I could just take and preach message after message right there and never repeat the same material over again. That is powerful stuff. But there's a couple things I want you to keep in mind as we're going to explore the depth and the significance of this verse. Number one, listen to this. I told you it's going to get a little bit, maybe a little heady for you, a little theological, but listen to this because I think it's going to give you something. Even if you don't think you can use it now, store it away in, in that, that receptacle of your mind and you're going to see it. Number one, this letter obviously was written specifically in response to the infiltration of the Judaizers. You'll remember. I'm surprised. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that you're so uh, uh, you're turned away from the gospel to another gospel. Remember, they, they came in and, and into this, this local church and all the erroneous teachings that people must follow the Jewish laws after coming to accept Christ in order to genuinely be saved. This letter, uh, though, has a far more reaching, I believe, implications than just those Jews and Gentiles of the first century. You're going to see why I believe in this in this verse that we're talking about tonight. And the second thing, too, and you've got to look at this and pay attention as you're reading this book, this, this letter, Galatians, that terminology law is going to be utilized. We've talked about the law of Moses. And it's not merely speaking, though, of the law of Moses or the Jewish law or some ceremonial law. It's covering anything, and I'll explain in detail in just a second, anything that seeks to take away the sole source of salvation from faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary and inject something else into the equation. 
And so when he's talking about being justified by the works of the law, he's not just talking about being justified by celebrating Rosh Hashanah or, or going on the Day of Atonement and having the proof. He's not talking about the law just in, in that narrow sense of the word, but something that's much bigger. And so I want to begin with that first sentence that he says. And he says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. If you're taking notes, underline that, write that, say, listen, I need to get this point right here and I need to get it good. And so we've certainly, we've talked at length concerning uh, the attempt uh, to include the law, which specifically we talked about that they address the issue of circumcision uh, into the plan of salvation. But that term law is not even mentioned in this letter until right now. Yeah, I've talked about it, but read, read those, that first chapter, those 24 verses and the 15 leading up to this, and you're going to find that law is not even mentioned until right now. Okay? There's going to be a couple other words. I'll bring those up in just a second. So this is the first place also that faith is presented as the sole uh, 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 and suitable mode of salvation. So he brings up the issue of law for the first time right here in Galatians 2.16. And he also introduces faith as the sole means wherein a man can be saved. And so there's a couple firsts that we got found ourselves in in, in 2.16. But it's also the first point in which the term justify or justified or justification are also used. And so when I said I could preach for months and months just off of 2.16, man, I could preach on faith. I could preach on justification. I, I could preach on, 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 on overcoming the, the, the law of, the, the, of, of the sin and death. I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff just right there. And so... We're immediately handed these themes, the law, justification, and faith. But here's the trouble in that. Now we've got to navigate all these terms in regards to the theology and the relationship of this, uh, this really corrective effort towards both Peter and the Galatian church. And so I want to start right now. If you're making a heading tonight in your notes, write down justify or justification. Now, you've heard that term before, right? Jairus, you've heard the term justify or justification, right? So if I said, are you justified? What would you say? What would you say? And I said, why are you justified? Now he's like, oh, I can't believe you're doing it. You see what I'm saying? Because there's probably not a single believer in here that wouldn't say, man, I am justified in Christ Jesus. Are you justified? She's like, I hope I am. But if I did the follow-up question, how did you get justified? Uh, justified, never done it before. You know, you, you really would. And so, you, you notice how some of these terminologies that get so familiar that we really don't know what they mean. We just spit them out like we know what they mean. And so, you've heard that term. You, you've heard it in regards to salvation, justification, sanctification, glorification. You've heard all those things. But we're going to focus on the term or the act or, uh, or justification just for a couple minutes. That term, justify, comes from, we, we, we get a word called justice. Thank you, baby, open it. So we get our term justice. And so what is the justice system? What's it associated with? What? The government? The legal, it's the legal system of our government. So it's a term taken from the legal process. And so we are legalized. There's something that legally happens in our life in regards to our relationship with Jesus. It's, it's that, that process that comes through that. It's the court system. Now listen to what it literally means. It means to declare righteous or innocent. To declare righteous or innocent. Now let me make it easier on you, Jairus. Do you, do you feel like Jesus has declared you righteous or innocent? Yes. 
Now, you understand that terminology a little more, right? Man, I've been made righteous through the blood of Jesus. I've been claimed innocent. He says not guilty. So those are terminologies that we can utilize a lot better because they're more familiar to us. We talk about justification. What does justification mean? I know I have to be that, so amen. Right? And so it's, it's important because the fact that all have sinned, right? All have sinned and come short of the glory or the glorification of of God. Romans what? 3.23. Your Bible, okay? So we know that every single one of us has come short. Every single one of us is, needs justification in order to get to that place of glorification is what he's saying. Something's got to happen in my life, in my heart. Something's got to happen in my spirit man so I can be glorified with Christ. The reason that all that is so important is because the opposite of justification would be what? Condemnation. And so I have justification here that's going to put me on a fast track towards glorification. Then I have condemnation that's going to put me on the fast track towards the judgment of God and eternal punishment. So justification is to be declared righteous. Condemnation is to be declared what? Guilty. And so if I don't have justification, all I'm left with is condemnation. And so when he begins to say things like knowing that a man is not justified by the works of law, but by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, something ought to be stirred up inside of me in a biblical sense. Do you hear what I'm saying? Something ought to get me because I know if I'm not justified by the works of the law, or if I'm not made right or declared not guilty through that, and the, the, the flip side of that is condemnation or being made guilty and be eternally separated from God, I've got to get that right. Do you hear me? I've got to get that right in my life. I've got to get that right in my preaching. I've got to get that right in my witness. I've got to get that right in my testimony. Why? Because that is one thing that I do not ever want to miss on or even come close to missing. Because the flip side, once again, is to be, be declared guilty. I never knew you. This is the condemnation. We look at that in, in, in John 3.19. That uh, this is what declares you to be guilty. That light... Who was the light? Jesus. Jesus is the light. He was the Word made flesh. He's come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds, their works, their very best efforts were evil. Why? Because all your best efforts do will, will confirm that you're in a guilty condition. Because all they do is say that I'm not justified by Jesus, but I'm condemned by my very best efforts. So apart from an act of justification... All that can possibly exist is condemnation. If I'm not justified by faith, what am I? I'm condemned. And so when people say, listen, man, I don't know if I could serve a God that would condemn me to hell. Well, you were condemned already. The very fact that you've rejected the sole means of being united with God in faith through His Son Jesus, the very fact that you've rejected that has locked you into a place of condemnation. And so, who's at fault? Well, the person at fault in a, in a, in a, in a judicial sense is the person that refuses that, that, that hand that's been extended in mercy that wants to declare you innocent. Now, folks, here's the thing about that is. When it's talking about you're justified, it's not talking about in an ethical sense. And so, if you've been made righteous, when I say, listen, you've been made righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean it in an ethical sense or in the standpoint of, listen, everything you do is going to be righteous. Everything you say is going to be righteous. Everything you speak, everything you think is going to be made righteous. 
And so when I say it in an ethical sense, you've been justified or you've been made innocent, it doesn't mean that you're walking around with little angel nubs. That's not what it means. It means from a judicial standpoint that God is saying, listen, I know that you are guilty of sin. I know that you're deserving of condemnation. I know that you're deserving of judgment. But there's someone that's standing in the way of those things. He paid a price that you could not pay. He's the one that poured out his life and he has satisfied the judicial requirements of the law and allowed the cup of my wrath to be poured out upon him. So even though you're not justified in a, in a, in a moral or an ethical sense, I'm calling you justified and innocent. Folks, listen, that for us, that should motivate us to walk in wickedness. That should be the motivation that Romans 6 and 1 talks about. Are we going to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Are we going to continue to walk like we're guilty even though He's declared us not guilty? Are we going to hold up? God forbid! How can we? I can take the 16th verse of chapter 2 and just incorporate it right there into Romans 6 and 2. I can do that and it would be the exact same message. How are you that have been set free from those things that condemned you? How are you, even though you weren't ethically, even though you weren't morally made right, He declared you right. Be ye perfect, even as my Father in heaven is perfect. How do we do that? Well, we know what it says in Romans through one sacrifice, through that one act of justification through faith in Jesus Christ. He has made perfect those that are sanctified. There's that other word, sanctified, sanctification. I'm sanctified because I was first justified. Not through the works of the flesh or through the works of the law, anything that I could accomplish, but there's a victory that comes, even the victory that overcomes the world, even my faith. My faith in what? My faith in what Jesus has done. And so that legal term accomplished, not in adherence to a legal system, but it had caused us to be introduced to a relationship with Jesus. So justification, law, faith, all brought to bear right here in the 16th chapter. Something else is of interest too. You've got, you got to really know this. Most translations, I don't know what you're reading from tonight, They'll render this portion basically knowing that man that man is not justified by the works of what does your Bible say? By the works of the law. the law. Anybody say anything but that? Okay? We've probably got a, a King James version in here. We've probably got an NIV in the room. We may have an NASB. We probably have a new King James. We might even have an NLT. And what's interesting in every single one of those 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 translations. It says that exact thing, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Well, the problem here is that that definite article, the, is no more in the original text here than it was in John 1.1. Now, you Bible people, especially those that have talked to coach, why is it important that I would say that? That, that the definite article, the, does not exist any more in Galatians 2.16 than it does in John 1.1. 1, 1. What does John 1.1 1, 1 say? In the beginning was the, in the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not was a God or a definite article. A God, it was God. Because the Jehovah Witness, they'll insert a definite article, A, and they'll say, listen, that's just one of many gods. No, Jesus was God made flesh. He was Emmanuel. He was not just a, a random God that, that came down and, and took on the form of sinful flesh. 
He was God made perfect. So for here, when it says uh, that the, it was the, gee, we're not justified by the works of the law. I should just say we're not justified by law. Okay? I'm going to explain that. Because I don't want, you, you may think, man, he's just being excessive in this point, but I'm really not. If I said man is not justified and declared innocent by the works of the law, then what I'm saying here is very specific to me. Because if I say man's not justified by the, the law, what would you think I was talking about? The law, of Moses. the law of Moses. But if I said man is not justified by law, broader skill, broader skill it, it pulls things in. So check this out. That word law is namas in the Greek, which when accompanied contextually with the definite article is specifically speaking about the law of Moses. And so I can take that N-O-M-O-S, good English spelling for a Greek word, and if I put the in it, it's always talking about Mosaic law. Well, the problem here is that definite article, the, is not there, so it's not talking about it. So it would accurately relate, man is not made innocent through his adherence to the law of Moses, which is accurate, it's just not accurate within that context. And it also limits the scope in regards to a work-based salvation by any persuasion. And so in the absence of that article, the, the term law takes on a meaning associated with this. And here's the definition, if I just pull out that word, the, and it's any system of religious thinking, any system of religious thinking, or any force or influence impelling to action. So it's any system of religious thinking, it's any force, it's any influence that would impel you, pierce you through, or even compel you to do something. And so when he's talking about law here, he said, listen, you're not justified by anything that would motivate you to do right. That's what he said. That's not how you're justified. You see the big difference? So it could be anything. So then the law that is powerless to justify us before a holy and righteous God would include any and all efforts that we might attempt to do in order to gain God's favor and forgiveness. So these things, these laws, these impelling influence or systems of thinking at best would only serve as self-righteousness. So giving to charity. How many times have you talked to somebody and said, listen, man, I'm okay. I'm a good person. I'm, they won't use the term justified, but that's what they'll mean by it. I'm innocent. God won't find me guilty because, guilty because I give to charity. Do you not know that I participated in a 5K and, 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 and my company raised $10,000 to, to, to help with, uh, with breast cancer research? Uh, what about feeding the hungry? Man, I worked in a soup kitchen through such and such. And you know what? Man, are, why aren't you doing that tonight? Why aren't you, shouldn't you be feeding these homeless, drug-addicted uh, people that have left their families and if the man not working on it? Shouldn't you be feeding them? I would feed them. Or what about digging wells in Africa? Well, how many trips to, to sub-Saharan Africa have you gone to? How many wells that are going to dry up one day have you dug? Right. How about adopting orphan children? Man, i got three orphan children. Well, so i got about at least three orphan children myself, but I'm not justified by it. <laughs> well, I've worked to raise awareness on a cause. Don't you know that i got 457 likes on a, on, a, on, on a Black Lives Matter post that I made last week? And so doesn't that justify me? Or, or I'm serving in some sort of civic organization, or I've demonstrated some type of religious piety, or I've gone on a hunger strike, and, and not around here, or I attend church on a regular basis, or I've given up sex, drugs, and rock and roll for, uh, for, for a good cause, or I, or I have a good law-abiding, semi-moral family, or, or I've, I'm a sincere and a caring person, or I have a desire to, to, to maybe help the handicapped or something. 
None of that. But have you heard those things? Yeah. And you know what? When people say those things, they are sincere in saying those things. And they will argue with you. So what are you telling me? That I can do all of those things. I can go to church. I can dig wells in Africa. I can give to the United Way. I can work in a soup kitchen. I can not run over the speed limit. I can do all those things and still not be justified before God. And you can have some slanderous, murderous pedophile that right before he dies, he can come to a place of repentance and accept Jesus and he's going to be okay and I'm not? Yes. And you say yes and they're like, what? <laughs> how dare God? No, how dare you? How dare you to think that yourself, your filthy self-righteousness on the best day could somehow trump the blood spilled before the foundations of the world where Jesus Christ came and bled and died, was pierced through for you and I, hung upon that cross between two thieves, died a sinner's death, put in a borrowed tomb. How are you going to have the audacity and the arrogance to think that you could do something that suddenly the God of heaven who came down in the form of sinful flesh is going to say, listen, I wasted my time. I wasted my time becoming a man of sorrows, being rejected and despised of my own people. I, I, I wasted my time. All I should have done is given you a list of, of civic things that you could donate to or, or some causes that you could work to or enough bubble runs or a buffer, all these things that you could have done and I'd have saved myself a lot of trouble. Folks, it's the arrogance that's found its way into the body of Christ. And we think all of these sacrificial things that we somehow do, somehow justify before God. Folks, listen, that's why people in church are some of the most despondent, depressed, wishy-washy people you ever face. Today, not 2,000 years ago at Galatia, who bewitched them with, a, with another gospel, which was not a gospel at all. But today... Why? Because we think, listen, I'm going to go to church because if I don't, man, people are going, to, are going to think bad about me. What about Jesus thinking bad about you for the, the wrong attitude of heart? Do you hear what I'm saying? Well, I've got to lift my hands during worship because if I don't do that, the praise and worship leader, he's going to rebuke me like he does every week because I'm just sitting there with my heart broken wondering about that person that's lost. So if I don't put the right appearance out, then somebody's going to think that I'm just not into it. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to forget about Jesus and I'm going to be a man pleaser all of a sudden. Folks, we do those things all the time. And somehow, somehow, we don't even recognize the futility of our actions. And we become as just as repulsive as those people that Paul the Apostle had to stand against, including Peter himself. I am standing against you. I am calling you out publicly. If you think for a minute... That those things please God. You're casting out devils, prophesying, doing wonderful works in my name. Well, you've got to do them according to his name because you can't do them according to his will. Why? Because this is the will of God. Even your sanctification, which does not even come apart from justification. Do you hear me? Try as we might to accomplish anything pleasing unto God apart from faith in what Jesus Christ has done, is the epitome of arrogance and foolishness. All these things should be included in Paul's statement. No man is justified by the works or the actions that accompany any compelling force or thought process in his life. Now, does that obviously include Mosaic? Well, yes, it does. 
But folks, those Jewish laws were merely just one apparent potential substitution for the one thing that to declare a person innocent in the presence of God. Because I can. I can attend church regularly, and I should. I could stop cursing, and I should. I could give faithfully, and I should. I could share my faith with the lost and go to Berber Street and preach, and I should do all those things. None of those things are going to save me. You hear me? I'm still saved by grace through faith, not of works. Regardless of those works, I don't have anything to boast about. I'm just created under good works. I don't do those things to get justified. Man, I do those things because I am justified. You hear me? I am made innocent. And so I do those things because now there's something that compels me towards obedience. And it's the love of God shed abroad in my heart. I've been transformed to be a transformational agent in other people's lives. And when you get it, you just can't help it. Why? Because it's not something that can even be understood or ascertained intellectually. It's just something that's just real. You can't help it. Man, I just want to. It's not a burden. It's not a problem. It's not over and above the call of duty. It's not, it's not Rambo Christianity. It's just, man, I'm justified. I've been declared innocent, and I wasn't innocent. He has spoken to that thing in me that was not as though it was. And so something is driving me, amen, to walk in faithfulness to the one that spoke life over me. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. But folks, if I think any of those things would ever cause God to look at me favorably in my relationship to Him in regards to salvation, then I've departed from the faith. I've given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Even though I do all those things, I can speak with the tongues of men and the tongues of angels. I can offer my body to be burned. I can give everything I have to the poor. I can do all of those things that are spoken of in, in 1 Corinthians 13 and have not love. Now, folks, love of just random, just a love fest? No. A love of the truth. Scripture condemns those. It says they loved not the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh to the Father except by Him. Consider those perilous times of 2 Timothy chapter 3, you know this. You know he was addressing church people. He wasn't addressing some heathen people on the backside of the wilderness. And here's what he said. He said, they'll act religious, but they'll reject the only power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They'll have a form of godliness, King James Version says, but they'll deny the power thereof from such people. Stay away from it. Here's a tough question. How hard is it to stay away from those people? Why? Because they look okay. They look okay. See, it's easy to stay away from people that don't look okay. It's easy to stay away from the person that outwardly has all this sin in their life and they're repulsive and repugnant to talk to. But what about those people that just seem okay? They have a form of God. Listen, they're not hurting anyone. But when it comes down to brass tacks and you begin to talk to them about where their faith is, and if their faith comes by, listen, I'm basically a good person. I go to church. I believe all this stuff. 
But then you begin to talk to him. How do you justify it? What's your faith? And listen, I believe that. But you know what? I believe that there's more than one way. Oh. I believe that God is, you know, he's, he's a merciful God. And so you can call him Jesus. You can call him Krishna. You can call him. And it's okay. Folks, that's denying the power thereof. Do you hear what I'm saying? From such people, stay away from them. Why? Because they'll be like leaven to you. And what they'll do is they'll be like that thing that, that, that spiritually emulsifies your life and makes you, renders you unable to genuinely see the holiness and the righteousness of God in your own life. The word godly literally means, when it says they'll act religious, but they'll reject the power to make them godly, it means, it summarizes really the thought of being holy, holiness. And so they will have a form or a morphosis or a semblance or an appearance, but they won't ever have the genuine article because it was attempted through a false and powerless premise. And so they'll be the declaration, but they'll never be the transformation because they sought it to do it by just spinning spiritual plates and doing enough things that kind of feigns that appearance. Think about uh, Matthew chapter 23 and verse 5. This was the religious people of, of Jesus' day. Look what he said in Matthew 23, 5. He said, everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. They wear robes with extra long uh, tassels. You know, they wear these big boxes, the, 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 what is it called, phylacteries? Now, those are things in the prayer text, those are things that were designed specifically, given instruction by God according to the pattern that God gave. And so these weren't things that they just came up with in order to draw attention to themselves. But the problem was, is these outward actions were now being used as a means to declare oneself righteous rather than just a token sign of what God had done. Listen, I'm doing these things that God said to do, but I'm substituting my actions for generating transformation in my heart. I'm trying to justify myself because I witness enough. I'm trying to justify myself because I get up earlier than everybody else. I'm trying to justify myself because I can quote more scriptures than anybody else. I'm trying to justify myself because I went on the right mission trip. I'm trying to justify myself because I have the right Bible training. I'm trying to justify myself. Folks, listen, you're never going to be justified by those things. It's not some competition to think to ourselves that maybe one day if we one-up our brother or sister then maybe somehow God will look favorably upon me and then I'll have the blessings that they have. Seriously, folks? But folks, that's what the church has been infiltrated with, that mentality and inundated with spiritually. All of that stuff is good stuff, but it's not God's stuff to bring redemption into our life. So church attendance, all those things, vital, noble part of the life of every genuine believer, but there's no way, a way to be declared right with God. Now, folks, listen. It had to be an easy snare in the first century church for people to believe things like that. Why? Because it was so familiar. This law, the association of the law of Moses, because they were a peculiar people, and so they were the people with the, 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 that served the one God. They were the one, especially in the case of the Judaizers, these people that so adhered to those principles. And, and so everybody associated all that stuff with that Lord God of Israel, that one that did all these miraculous things. So it was an easy snare, I believe, then. But have you ever thought about that in regards to Mark chapter 2? If you get your Bible, look there real quick. This is interesting. Mark chapter 2, verse 15. 
It's still an easy snare. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat eating in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many that followed him. So here Jesus is breaking all these eating issues as well. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with publicans and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, how many of you know he hears everything? He hears it all, he sees it all, he knows it all. He said unto them, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. He said, I came not to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance. And the disciples of John and the Pharisees used to fast, and they come not and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't? And Jesus said to them, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they can't fast. But the day will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and they shall fast in those days. And look at verse 21 in regards to this trying to initiate something else, some other law, some other influential thing, some other compelling thought or ideology that's going to drive us towards righteousness. He said, no man also sews a piece of new cloth onto an old garment. Else the new piece that filled it up is taken away from the old, and the tear is made even worse. In verse 22, no man puts new wine into old bottles, because the new wine will burst those bottles, and the wine will be spilled out, and the bottles will be marred, but new wine must be put into new bottles. Folks, for us tonight... That old wineskin represents any previous means by which a person thinks that they can obtain right standing with God, apart from obedience to the finished work of the cross of Calvary. And so if I'm trying to put something else in that, some, some, something else that's going to be a substitute for what Jesus did, it's like trying to put a new piece of cloth onto an old garment. The Judaizers wanted to pour Jesus into an old wineskin and make the Gentiles drink it. That's really what they wanted to do. Okay, we have an old wineskin called the law, called circumcision, called these principles, these things that we adhere to. So let's just pour Jesus into that. We'll shake it up, and he'll be the mixture. Well, today the religious and the self-doff is a transformational experience. Well, don't you know what I did? So let me just pour my experiences in. Let me just pour my, my neat little uh, uh, flopping around in a worship service into the bottle, shake it up and drink it, then I'm justified. Let me pour any of these things in or how I feel or, or what I thought or something that can't be validated or measured up against Scripture. As long as it makes me feel right, I'll shake it up and I'll drink that. We'll never, though, under any circumstance, be able to claim righteousness through our own efforts. Why? Because man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we, he said, have believed in Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified, but by the faith of Jesus. More appropriately, that should probably say faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. Folks, listen. Anything that vacates justification will introduce condemnation. And justification only comes from one source, through faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. I'm justified, made right through Him. If I vacate it through trying to adhere to certain principles, I've introduced condemnation into my life. Why? Because one is accomplished in the flesh and the other one's totally dependent upon the Spirit. I want to sew a couple verses together tonight. I'm going to close out with these couple verses here. Look at Romans chapter 8. Verse 1. 
Romans chapter 8. You're very familiar with this, if not the address, obviously what it says, though. It says, there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So I could say, there's no condemnation for those that are justified through faith in Jesus Christ. I could say that. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now here's that great law word. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, not the law of Moses, but the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, that compelling force, that way of thinking in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what no other law could do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin. He condemned sin, so sin, sin wouldn't condemn me. That the righteousness, or the right standing, or the justification of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Condemnation will always be tied to the law. We were talking one day, uh, Brother Emerson, he said talking about walking in the Spirit and what it really is. Because if I could ask most people in here, with probably the exception of him today, what does it look like to walk in the Spirit? What does it look like to walk in the Spirit, Pastor Brandon? <laughs> he said, I know you're setting me up once again. Um, not feeling the force of the flesh. You walk with the please God. Okay. He, he just added on to that, that scripture, if I walk in the Spirit, then I won't fulfill the, law, the lust of the flesh. Well, he answered the question without answering the question, which we all would. Because if I walk in the Spirit, that means here's what it's going to do, not what it looks like. Do you catch that? If we walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So, not fulfilling the lust of the flesh is walking in the Spirit, or it's just the product of walking in the Spirit. Folks, listen. Walking in the Spirit is not ever... It's, it's, I'm trying to say this where I won't confuse you even more than maybe my brother's confused already right, right now. Walking in the Spirit doesn't mean that you're never going to mess up. That's not what it means whatsoever. See, we think the attitude is if we walk in the Spirit, then we're never going to fail. And we'll take a 1 John 3, 4 through 10 talks about whoever uh, commits sin transgresses the law for, the, uh, for all sin is transgressing the laws. We know that He was manifested to take away our sins. Well, He's talking about having that inroad into our life. Folks, walking in the Spirit is recognizing where my justification is. That's what it is. Walking in the Spirit real, makes me realize where my source is. And so if my source is always Jesus... When those situations or transgressions come into my life, I'm not focusing on my flesh for the answer. I'm looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so I'm able to depart from sin. I'm able to not to leave that inroad into my life. Why? Because I'm not thinking that I'm justified or I have a victory because of my adherence to a certain amount of principles. I have victory because I've solely put my faith in Jesus Christ. So if I'm walking in the Spirit, and we'll get to Galatians 2 and 20 uh, probably next week, then I'm crucified with Him. Now, once I'm crucified, there's not a whole lot that I can do. I just put my faith in the life that I'm now living. I live by faith in Him. Not by my faith in not ever messing up. Not by my faith in not ever uh, 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 finding myself having to go to God in repentance. But what walking in the Spirit does always pushes me towards that source, which is Jesus. 
That's when I'm walking in the Spirit. If I'm walking in the Spirit, sin is not okay with me anymore. I can't continue to walk in it. I'm going to flee it when it's, when it's recognized, whether it's a sin unto death or a sin not unto death. I'm not going to continue to willfully sin after to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, there's going to be times just because I'm housed in sinful flesh that there's going to be certain things that I do or attitudes that I have or, or missing that mark which He's established. That's what, that's what sin is, transgressing the righteousness of God. But what keeps me covered and forgiving is not the fact that I'm not uh, walking in absolute the, the, the realization of absolute holiness, but I'm walking in faith in the declaration that He made for me, even though that it wasn't an ethical or a moral declaration. When He says, I'm holy, I'm not holy because I do holy. I'm holy because He said I'm holy. Which then in turn compels me to want to live based upon the declaration of God, not upon the actions of my flesh. Because no flesh shall glory in His presence. Not even flesh that memorizes the Bible or flesh that witnesses or, or does all these good works. Not even the flesh that goes to church three times a week or gives all their money. That, not even that flesh will glory in His presence. But when I've come to the end of myself, even my religious self, even though my good intention self, and I say, listen, my hope is in Jesus. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus who don't walk in the flesh, regardless of what that flesh looks like. If that flesh looked like any type of law. My walk and my faith is built upon nothing less but Jesus Christ's blood and His righteousness. That's what my faith is built upon. And so I'm not trying to perform into His kingdom. I'm just trying to obey what He said. I'm just trusting what He said. And so I can be righteous because He calls me righteous. And so positionally, positionally I'm holy. Positionally, I've been made right. Actually, you know what? One day, man, this flesh and blood is going to take on immortality. Why? Because flesh and blood, folks, we walk in, will not inherit the kingdom of God, Right? And so even though I'm, I'm, I'm filled with frailties and, 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 and every single day I'm, I'm pressing towards Him, every single day it says a righteous man may even fall seven times, but it's the Lord that picks him up. Who's He picking up? Those that put their faith in Jesus, not that put their faith in the arm of the flesh. Folks, listen, if we can just get that, then we'll begin to see victory. Then you'll actually be able to overcome. Why? Because you're going to the right source. Folks, don't be again entangled in, in, the, in the yoke of bondage. The yoke of bondage says, listen, okay, Jesus, I'm glad that you love me and you died for me. Now let me see what I can do. Folks, you can't do anything. Amen. In our flesh, well, it's no good thing. Nothing that's going to be pleasing unto him. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Folks, listen. Your faith has got to have the right place to rest. Because we're saved by grace. That's his part. Through faith. You just hold it over by We're saved by grace through faith. Not of our own works. So that no one is capable of boasting. Right? But it's faith in Jesus. It's faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. Not in the amount of hoops that we can jump through or the system that we can adhere to. Those things are simply the product of that intimate relationship 